Welcome back to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. It's Sarah and Ilya, and we are here answering questions today about relationships and some questions actually that our listeners shared with us on social media on our Instagram page. We're excited to dive into that tonight and hopefully share a little bit of wisdom that we've learned along the way. As you know, Ilya is married to Taylor and it's been like eight years. You've been married yeah, eight years? Yeah. In yeah. August, August 17th will be start the beginning of our ninth year. Beautiful. Yeah. They have a little puppy named Winston. He's actually fact. not little. He's two. He's a bulldog. He's a French bulldog. Fun fact. But he's a bit of a tank. So yeah. He's so funny though. Yeah. So we're just going to get into questions and, and hopefully just honor people's hearts in what they desire to know more about. We are obviously not the end all be all. But we're just going to share what God has taught us. And hopefully that will be helpful. Can I also do a shameless plug to our email, the deeply rooted pod at gmail.com for anybody who would like to use more characters than the Instagram DMs allow or comments. Or if you just like to be more private, um, we encourage comments, encouragements. How has this podcast encouraged you? How has it challenged you? Any questions you might have for future episodes or theme ideas for maybe an episode in the future? Sarah and I are very open to recommendations and we encourage it. And our content is really based around what we've learned from our own encounters and experience with the Holy Spirit and also what we understand to be true in the in the Word of God. And so if you have questions about our content or questions about things that we've discussed, we would love to know that. We keep all names private and we don't share those. So you don't need to worry about that being made public. So please feel freedom to ask away and Ilya or I or both will give you feedback and respond as soon as we can. Let's dive in. Let's get into some of these questions. Okay. So it was really interesting as I was, there were so many things that came to my mind that I wish I could have shared after that last podcast. There are so many stories and so many different experiences that I was like, oh, I wish I could share what God taught me in these things. But I was really surprised and yet not surprised at how often, how many questions we got asked on how to overcome disappointment, especially and specifically mm-hmm. how to overcome disappointment mm-hmm. from heartbreak or the disappointment of thinking someone is the one and they are actually end up not being the one. And Ilya, you had a great response to that that I I think is really valuable to share. I don't know. I I struggle with the language of oneness in a single perspective when we talk about a specific individual. So oftentimes when we talk about marriage or dating or courting, whatever language you want to use, we'll say things like this person, I found my missing half, or this person is my other half, or this person completes me or this person is the one. It's a pet peeve. I would never sit there and call anybody out on it in like a just a banter or conversation back and forth, but it is something that kind of drives me crazy and here is why. As a single person, you are not a half, you are whole. I'm going to say it again. You are not a half, you are a whole. 
And having another person or being in relationship with another person does not complete you. That is not a biblical concept. It is, I think, a cultural thing that we say and it is something that we talk about of like, oh, this person completes me. The reality is the one who completes you is God himself. We are created by him and we're created for him. No other human being has that kind of oneness. It's a union that we have with Christ. So it can get pretty scary. I think when we build other people up that way, the higher the platform or the altar that we place other people on, the greater the disappointment. I love that because it makes sense when we say, I'm going to bring my whole self. I'm not bringing half of myself. Yeah. I'm bringing my whole self and you're going to bring your whole self. And in that, together, we're going to move towards the Lord. Um, That's just really beautiful language and understanding to that. And I think it does help eliminate searching for something that isn't quite, it it isn't accurate. And and it takes away, hopefully, this mindset that this person is going to complete me in some way. We don't fix ourselves through relationship. That's not what happens. The Lord just continues to work and sanctify us now together as a, as opposed to being apart. The Lavology quote from a few episodes ago where talked about two broken people coming together and it's two whole people coming together and stepping into that relationship is seeing not your other significant your significant other your spouse as a missing half to which you have to fill the idea and the burden and the weight that comes with that concept is crazy to me i would never expect taylor to fulfill a missing part of me the amount of pressure that that puts on my spouse is ludicrous and so it's two whole people coming together who have their identity in Christ. Like, man, what? how has God wired you? What is he calling you to? And then my job as a spouse is then to lift that up as much as possible. Like I want to encourage as we run, stumble, fall, get up through this journey of life together, that we are lifting the best Christ version of our spouse up as much as possible. And that also changes our expectations so much. Oh, huge. Yeah. Now my expectations have to adjust and shift. And the the expectations that I had before, they have to change. And in that, my thought would be that that grows compatibility as opposed to this need to change a person. That's a good word. But disappointment is real. All of that truth does not take away that disappointment happens yep. and that we can invest in relationships with people that we dare to hope and begin to believe and take steps forward in believing that this person is going to be someone that we could say yes to in that commitment of marriage. And then when that doesn't happen and we've put all of our eggs in in the one basket and we've said yes, but the other person doesn't. And for whatever reason, there's all kinds of reasons that relationships separate and don't work out and don't move forward. But disappointment from that is very real. 
and oftentimes not just for one person, but for both. And how do we get through that and over that? I guess I want to speak to this in two different ways because there's different kinds of disappointment. There's a disappointment that it didn't work out. And then there's the disappointment that God allowed you to get that close and not succeed. Yeah. And those disappointments have very different kinds of impact, our walk of faith and where our trust lies. When that person doesn't work out, we can lose trust in ourselves and our own discernment. Oh man, I missed it. Mm. How did I miss this? And then the other can cause us to lose trust in God. God, why did you, why did you let me love this way if it wasn't meant to be? That can be the the thought, right? Behind mm-hmm. the disappointment and and then distrust and discord comes. I wanna be really gentle in this because I've been in both of those places where I had every reason to believe that the relationship that I was in was going towards marriage and didn't, and totally taken by surprise when it moved in the opposite direction. I had to come to a place where over time and in community and people loving me and listening to me in my heartbreak and caring for me and ministering to me in love. That's really important. When you've become disappointed to have people around you speak truth, even if it's hard to hear, and even if it doesn't make sense, and even if you don't want to hear it, even if you don't want to hear it, it's still good. It's like when you're sick and someone makes you chicken noodle soup and you're like, I could not eat a single thing right now. And they're like, yeah, you need to keep your strength. That's what truth is when our heart is sick. I just would encourage people in that place of disappointment to not isolate to the point that you're not receiving the goodness of community around you, even if it's just one or two safe people who can minister to you in your need. Let them, let them, even if it doesn't feel good, you need it. I had to come to terms with the fact that I'm very aware of my own free will. Other people have free will too. I have dated a lot and who I've dated, we've both made decisions in the relationship. We've either chosen each other or we've not. And the Lord allows someone to choose us or not choose us. And if they don't choose us, we let them go and we continue to trust God, even if it doesn't make sense. But it's really hard to just walk through the pain of that. And things that are unhelpful are... Hey, Sarah, you're going to be all right. There's plenty of fish in the sea. Get back on the horse. You're going to be fine. You're fired. (laughs) You straight to jail. Straight Straight to jail. jail. I've seen that. I've been in the presence of that when in the midst of real heartache, real pain, and you go to your people or whatever. You're there. You're in community, whether it's your small group or just some close friends. And then the the Christian tropes of, you know, hey, God's got a plan for you. It's going to be okay. Get back on the horse. Plenty of fish in the sea. Just things that I have found to be so unhelpful. So oftentimes it's just encouraging to just be present. Yes. And to remember that God has already chosen you. So even if a person hasn't chosen you, one person... This one person is not going to define your future, but it is a course shift of how you thought your future would go. 
allow your body and your mind and your heart and your spirit to adjust to the shift. Be gentle with yourself. Give yourself the time that it needs, but keep moving forward and know that that does not define your future unless you allow it to. I remember when I was going through great, great grieving after a failed relationship. I just remember being so heartbroken and sitting there praying and crying out to God. And I closed my eyes and I was like, Lord, I just need to know where you are in this because my heart is broken. And this was maybe four months. Like it wasn't moving as fast as I wanted it to. My heart wasn't moving along and moving forward as fast as I wanted to. The Lord gave me this picture of a graveyard and me sitting in a graveyard next to this grave. But in this graveyard, there were all kinds of graves, graves with fresh mounds of dirt, older graves with headstones. And I was like, Lord, where am I? And he so clearly said, Sarah, this is where dreams have died things that you've believed for, things that you've desired, things that you've wanted, things that you've dreamed. This is where they have died. And I need you to get up where you've been grieving. And I need you to start moving forward. And I need you to trust that anything in this graveyard that I want to resurrect, I can't. Any single thing that I want to resurrect, that I want for you, that it will be. But you cannot stay here if you want to continue to live. That picture was really good. So what did it look like to get up? It meant that I started to discipline my mind, to not focus on my heartbreak all the time and the different ways it was impacting my day and affecting my relationships and having more power over me than the goodness of the Lord and stepping into the present where I needed to be. And slowly the present And the presence of God became stronger than my grief. And that got bigger and bigger. And my steps got quicker and quicker of moving forward until I got far enough away. It was a distant memory. Disappointment's hard. It's real. It's It's real. real. It's funny. Earlier when you were talking and we were talking about losing hope, the phrase that popped into my mind was the death of a dream. And I was sitting there thinking like, yeah, in some ways... Every person that's not the person feels like a nail in the coffin and a reminder. And that's real. That's hard. I truly believe that what God has done for me on the cross and through resurrection is greater than anything that I have gone through or that's been done to me or I've done to myself. And so when I come up against things in my life that are hard to walk through, I remember that and let that empower me that the power of the Holy Spirit can compel me to keep moving forward, to not become a victim of those things. What are some of the things when you look back at that season of grieving and getting up and moving forward, what were some things that you did that you found helpful or maybe things that you would recommend to somebody else? I set a routine. I set a rhythm for myself, a good rhythm. That was probably... When I came to appreciate the discipline and the rhythm of weekly church, even when I didn't want to show up, I showed up. Even when I didn't want to be there, I went. I went for a walk every single day at four o'clock. Every single day at four o'clock, I went for my walk two miles. 
And I let the Lord meet me there. And I just, I listened to worship music and I let the Lord do healing. I could cry. I could share how angry I was, but I would let the truth of God's word and worship wash over me so that those things, I didn't get stuck in it. I made sure that I was spending time with friends, that I was going out at least once every two weeks with girlfriends or guy and girl friends that we were going out having dinner together, that I was not allowing it to have all my conversation. Sometimes when we're stuck in grief, no matter where we are, that's what we want to talk about. And I had to challenge myself to not let my grief always be the main conversation, but to allow myself to engage and think about other people and not just myself. Not let it dominate your relationships. and Yeah, where every time I was with a, a friend that we were going to talk about me and my heartbreak, but that there would be times where I would be able to share my heart and be heard and listened to, but that that would not dominate every single one. That's just really important. And time, time does heal a lot. Yeah. Doesn't heal all, but it does heal a lot. I love that you made that distinction. Yeah. It does heal a lot. It does. Time does a lot when done in health and when done well. And done well isn't perfect. It just means sometimes not giving up. I hear a lot of intentionality with both your routine, your relationships, like it is an effort being put forward. And I think that's the piece that's really key to the time heals a lot. When we are intentional in our grief, in our pain, in our disappointment, time is really powerful. It is because at first you think it's the end. This is just how this is going to end and I'll never recover. And then over time you realize, oh, that wasn't the end. In fact, it was a new beginning and I'm beginning something new and I'm stepping into something new. I haven't been here before because everything before this was with that person or with this mind that it would be with this person. So now I'm not actually, I'm at the end of something and the beginning of something. And you start stepping into that in a mindset of like, well, what does God have for me here? And what's it going to look like now? That's when you start to look forward to things again. Thank you for that. I have a feeling there are people right now that have so many more questions about that who are in the middle of it. And if you are in the middle of it and you want to reach out to me, please do. Happy to talk more about that. God is the God of all comfort. He will see you through and you will be changed. You will become a different person, but let him make you better. Let him make you better because he will. Before I move on to the next question, I just want to say thank you for leading with vulnerability. We kicked that podcast off pretty hot. And I just want to say thank you for leaning in and leading with vulnerability. There's going to be a lot of relationships that people will look back and say, man, I regret that. I should never have been in that relationship. That can be true. But there are some relationships that you have that maybe they went to a certain period. Maybe they went to a certain point and didn't go any further, but they had great purpose. Don't miss out on the treasures that are in that and what you can learn and discover about yourself and about another person. Don't let disappointment rob you of that. It's a very open-handed way of looking at relationships. 
I think that gets lost when we put so much pressure on this is the one, this is my missing half. When we start going down that road, we miss the opportunity that comes to say, yeah, with disappointment, the opportunity that's there to go, okay, what did I learn about myself through this process? What is the takeaway that's there? I remember this guy prayed for me as a, a musician at a camp. It was just really weird. I don't even know how it happened. We were sitting outside and starts praying for me and didn't really know me. And he's like, God, would you just send a man to rescue Sarah? Oh, come on. And I remember he, he literally. Did not. This, is this a made up story? <laughs> there is no way. Okay. Oh. So I, and I'm like, what it did was it exposed his whatever he thought about oh, that. That's but the worst. I literally remember crinkling my nose while he was praying. And I was like, yeah. what's happening right now? Unbelievable. And, and he, he's like, internally, I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> Trying to be respectful. Yeah. So yeah. Like, thanks, but no thanks. This guy thinks okay. he's doing Keep... me a real solid. Yeah. Right? Yep. I just think that's funny, but I say that to say uh, we don't need people to rescue us. We're not looking for people to rescue us, but we do want people to choose us. We want people to choose us. And so we will wait for someone who will choose us. That's a well said, well put. Much better and than Lord or just <laughs> that guy sucks. Actual. Yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. Thanks, brother. This is where Ilya really is. Like, Ilya is younger than me, but he acts like my big brother. I'm grateful. Thanks. I'm grateful. Yeah, that just shot me back to every cheesy Christian line like ever. It's in that same sphere of look. Yeah, you'll Dude. be fine. There's plenty of fish in the sea. Go get them, Sarah. You're gonna be great. Sit down. Yeah. Sit down right yeah. now. <laughs> Lord, she needs rescuing, dude. You need rescuing, bro. Oh, okay. So there were a couple of questions that I think were covered in the singleness podcast that we had last episode. How do we embrace singleness and overcome the need for another half? I think we answered those pretty well in our former podcast. One question was how to celebrate others when they find their person without comparison. I want to start by saying comparison is the thief of joy. If you want to ruin a good thing, compare it to something else. That happens so frequently and without any thought. It is a default setting. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it until we find ourselves embittered and disgruntled and upset. And we're like, man, how did I, I was having a great day. How did I, how did this happen? Right? Like before I saw that Instagram post, that Facebook post before, like whatever happened before that thing, I was having a great day and now I'm, I'm ticked off. So I think to just be consciously aware of what starts to happen when comparison enters the room, it really distorts beauty and it takes you out of the season and the place that God has you. With that said, comparison can happen and when it does. And and sometimes I'm just going to say this, we have all seen that couple that gets married and immediately, right? Like they get back from their honeymoon and they're making 
bless their hearts. They're making posts on Facebook and Instagram about, oh, me, my husband doing all these things. And, <laughs> and like, hey, five tips for a great marriage. And you're like, dude, you're 24. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're a well, month in, into this. All right. And more than that. Yeah. They've been married two weeks. Yeah, like, exactly. Exactly. You're you're 24. You've been married for two weeks. Chill out. Okay. Like I, I love you and I can genuinely just celebrate like, hey, I'm so glad you're this excited, but there needs to be a little bit of checks and balances there to, to have a little bit of self-awareness and not start giving away marital advice, you know, two weeks let's in. Let's talk at the one year mark. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, even I would even say, man, the the whole first year for some people, it's an incredible experience. I would say five years in five years in is when, you know, you've been doing it for a little bit and you can start start talking about the reality. Things have set in the honeymoon phase is over all those things. So it happens and it happens quite a bit. So in that season, when you find yourself in comparison, my encouragement as somebody who's married, married eight years, talking to a single person, I would say the grass is not greener on the other side. And for some of you, that might sound like a very cliche thing to say, but it's, I think it's appropriate and I think it's true. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is different. Circumstances are different. You might not be necessarily struggling with some of the things that you're struggling with in singleness, but there will be other problems on the other side of marriage. What happens when you get married, and this is not meant to sound cynical or tongue in cheek, you are exchanging one set of problems for another. And I think sometimes that mentality of, oh, things would be so much better once I find my other half or my person quickly becomes a letdown when we realize, oh my gosh, it's not that things are better, things are just different now. So my biggest encouragement would be I think it's easy for me to say being on the other side to go like, man, things are just different, right? Like I talked about in one of the episodes when I talked about my marriage and how difficult the last year, two years have been. And there's moments where I've talked to so many married guys who there's moments where you're like, I wish I was single right now. There are pros and cons to both. So the encouragement would be the grass is not greener on the other side. I would say the grass is greenest where you water it. And that would go back to the intentionality that goes into whatever season of life you're in, just appreciate it for what it is. And there are seasons and then there's just life. This is just mm -hmm. my life. <laughs> this is my life and I got to care for it and I've got to cultivate it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. If we make singleness a season, then for those who it's for a lifetime, get set up for an expectation. Well, this is going to end mm. soon. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yep. Yep. I see what you're saying. I recant my earlier comment. That's a good point. And, and it's not just one set of problems going to a different set of problems. It's also a set of freedom and joy shifting to a different kind of freedom and joy. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. They're shifting, reflecting, and showing up in different ways than they did before yeah. a marriage. Yeah. Did you say that's right? Yeah, 100%. Freedom, man, again, it's not better or worse. And that is a response to comparison, right? As soon as we go, one is better than the other, that's a comparison and it robs us of joy. So I want to stay away from doing that. It is not better or worse. It's just different. And one of the differences is the freedom that you possess as a single person. 
which is one of the tensions in my own marriage. Taylor and I are both very independent. We're both committed to ministry. We love ministry. We're called to ministry. So if we are not careful, our heart for ministry will begin to intervene with our own marriage. And so some of the freedoms that I, from time to time, am envious of in single people is their freedom to do what they want. And and I don't say that in a you know hedonistic, egocentric life committed to self. I mean that in a life devoted to God. You have the ability to get up and go do something whenever you want. Hey, there's a worship thing happening here. There's a small group thing happening here. Somebody wants to get together for coffee. I'm going to go do that. Like you have this mobility and freedom that comes with singleness. That is a major gift. There is something really beautiful in marriage that I love. When I think about being able to partner with somebody who is in the closest proximity that anybody can be. And they still look at you and choose you and give you grace and love and forgiveness. That is freedom. It is a different kind of freedom. Marriage is a great example of being of being fully known and fully loved. The longer you are together, more and more things surface and you are in this together with one another for life. Like we're like, I'm committed to you, you're committed to me. Here's all my garbage. Here's all your garbage. I think it's the closest example we can get to the love of the Father. When we look at the cross, to be fully known and fully loved, I think it's the paradox of both Jesus being on the cross and the symbol that that is to our Christian faith. And it is a freedom. I say that because there is power and freedom in being single in the way that I can serve, the way I can get up and go, and the way that I can really have the freedom to enjoy different opportunities as my own schedule that I manage allows. But there's freedom in marriage as well, like I just pointed out, but they are just different. It's not comparing. It's just both offer these beautiful gifts They just come in different packages. And so we glory and we praise God with the gift that we happen to be holding. Amen. And that is how we don't compare, but we just thank God and recognize this is what I have. This is what they have. Aren't they both so good? And then we don't give envy and jealousy a foothold to come in and have any kind of say in if that's true or not. We are going to believe and hold that as true and celebrate one another in it. Yeah. And sometimes, man, I'll be driving in the car and I'll just talk to Jesus. I'll just go, God, am I comparing right now? Like if I find myself in a, in a, a hard place in a pickle, I'll ask the Lord, am I, am I comparing myself? Like, am I, is this a comparison thing happening right now? Just call it out for what it is. Call it out for what it is. And I think that being the first step in, and I love, man, just the picture that I get is like tender hands holding whatever the Lord's given you. To allow yourself to be intentional, to hold it with care, to appreciate it for what it is without sizing it up against something, something else that the Lord has given someone else. And not with the attitude of just be grateful for what you have. Totally. Not, not what is being said, posturing it in that different way of that tenderness. Yeah. That's really beautiful, Ilya. (laughs) I refuse to be a bridesmaid. I just, it's exhausting. That's literally the only reason. Has no other reason than that. It's exhausting and expensive. 
and I've paid my dues. But I just think about how often we miss the opportunity to celebrate the good because we wish it were us. But I, I have to say, like, there's been a lot of times where I wanted to celebrate and I couldn't because I saw my friends walking into pain and mm. suffering of their own choosing yeah. and I couldn't celebrate. So when I saw the hand of God on something and God breathing on something and God moving and building and creating something so good in the relationships of those around me, because my heart is so aligned and so tuned into wanting that for God's people and for the people I love, that my love for them desires that for them, that gives me the ability to celebrate them. And I don't have to muster it up. If pain comes in that moment during celebration of saying, oh, Lord, when will that be me? That gets to turn into a prayer like Hannah of, Lord, if this is your best for me, would it be so? And thank you so much for what my friends are about to step and walk into. I honor that. I think it's good to stop saying, this is hard. This is hard. I can't do this. That's powerless language. We can do it. We will do it by the power of God. But we have to lean on him for that. We can't muster it up. We can't just pull up our bootstraps and get all the grit and do it. Although grit and resilience help a lot. It really does have to be us leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit. With that, the power that singleness brings into ministry. That was something somebody well, well, well. was wanting by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm so interested, Ilya, to hear from you how you experience single people in ministry and how you see that empower the work of God in the body of Christ around you. How do you see that? Because I've, I'm so close in it, right? I don't go around thinking I'm the gift, but I know that there are things that God's done in me and through me that as I serve the body of Christ, that that can gift the body of Christ. I don't think about, oh, me being single, total gift. <laughs> the Let me bless you with my presence. Let, yeah, yeah. So I'm interested to hear how you experience that through singles. Yeah, I think there's single, there's married, and there's married with kids. I also want to acknowledge, I understand people are gifted differently. I understand people have different capacities, both in their work capacity, but also their emotional threshold for relationships and meeting with people. For me, the demographic of like young adults is one of my favorite people to be around. <laughs> I was going to say something. Not to like, oh, poo -poo, now you gotta say it. <laughs> not to like poo poo on marriage, but there, there's like a light in their eyes. You know, <laughs> not, not to say that like oh, no. that goes away when you get <laughs> married. That's not, that's why I didn't say it. I didn't want to because I was like, that sounds wrong. That's not right. The light but, has left their eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The light has left their eyes. Uh, there's a vitality. I mean, just even the years before I got married, walking with the Lord, the, mobility to be able to do things. Your capacity is greater. And I also think there is a unique hunger that exists there in the body of Christ that's really cool to be a part of, but your capacity is so much greater. There is in some ways less barriers for you as a single person. That demographic is 
such a gift to the body of Christ. And I wish that it would be seen that way. It's the youthfulness. It is the capacity to be present in ways that married people aren't. They just aren't. Like Sarah, some of the biggest blessing that I feel like Taylor and I have reaped over the years of being friends with you is your availability to minister, to be ministered to, just being present. Like the ministry of presence is huge and that cannot be overlooked. And I think one of the gifts that exists in singleness is the ministry of presence. You're not distracted by a spouse. You're not distracted by kids. Like you are just present. And that is such a gift to everybody else. That's interesting that you should bring that up because when I took the time to actually consider very thoughtfully, do I actually want to be married or do I want to choose singleness? Like, is this something that I want forever? I made the conscious decision that marriage is something that I want and that I desire, but I had to recognize the reality that when I do get married, that capacity changes. And it's not even the capacity. I have a great capacity. The Lord has enlarged my capacity over time through various ways. But my focus within that capacity has to change, gets to change when I get married. So honestly, the time I would pour into the relationship with a husband, I pour that into my community. I don't just sit there and and sit on it and hold it like it's some special thing. I give it away. I give it away to the people that I love. And when I get married, that's going to have to change. And I've thought about how that's going to impact me and impact the relationships around me because it, it will be significant. Mm hmm. I haven't had to do that yet. I do it in small ways, you know, as I just create natural boundaries, but I haven't had to deal with that yet. And so, yeah, I'm a little nervous about it, if I'm honest. Crap. You'll and tackle I it one day at a time. I think it- You hear the fear in my voice. <laughs> I genuinely think it will be worse for everybody else, not you. Oh yeah, I'm Hands pretty down. sure about that. <laughs> I think the power of intentionality and- presence is one of the biggest gifts that singleness provides to the body. Okay. When you get married, that shifts pretty drastically. So like it's an exchange. Do you think that's what causes a lot of resentment in marriage from how much attention they have to shift over? Off the cuff, my first thought is yes, but only when one person's doing it. If both spouses are mutually committed to the boundary and drawing their attention to one another, I would say no. It's it's more of like a fond memory of singleness. Like you're like, oh man, wasn't that fun when we could just be together and be available and kind of, but I would say when one person is committed and the other person isn't to drawing those boundaries, that's where the resentment comes in. Hmm, thanks for answering that because I do get curious about those sorts of things and it's helpful for me to ask my married friends those questions to get a, a greater understanding because I just don't experience it. So that's helpful. And then if I do see that resentment, it helps me serve them better in that place to understand it and to know it. Something that somebody brought up also was about single parents and pursuing relationships as a single parent. The question specifically was, should the church encourage single parent dating or should that person focus on their family and focus on raising their family and taking care of the kids? 
And I, I think that that's an interesting question because it really depends on the motivation for dating. What's the motivation? Mm, the why? Yeah, because people become single parents for all different kinds of reasons. Yeah, that question in and of itself is kind of a mixed bag. I think the easiest way to answer that as I think about that is you and I kind of talked about this before the podcast. Um, and I like what you had to say. You said, yeah, if, if you want to date and you want to, you know, step into healthy relationship while you're a single parent, absolutely do it. But are you in a place where you are spiritually healthy and can have the emotional capacity to step into what that requires? And do you have the community around you to support you in that? And if you don't, I would say, ask the church for help to get to a place where you are, where you feel you're not going to be looking for someone to complete you just like any other single person. It would be the same concept there, right? Like you're not looking for someone to help you or fix you in any way, shape or form, but you are actually looking for a partner because you're ready for a partner. I would totally, totally date someone with kids. That's not a problem. It's not even a thing. There's like layers. There's like single, married, and then married with kids. And then on the other spectrum, there's single, divorced, divorced with kids, or w whatever the situation is, right? Whether you're widowed or abandoned, or there's mm -hmm. different categories for that. But when you are in that space, I think each one of those three should be treated differently with wisdom and discernment. Yeah. And each one of those three, whether you're single, married, or with kids, you are entering into a relationship with another person with prior experiences. If you're single versus you are a single parent, that kid has a dad or a mom. And what does that relationship look like? There's so much wisdom and discernment that needs to be, I think, applied to the situation. But your question of why like what's the motive behind why you're doing what you're doing, I think is really, really big. And I remember I was even telling Sarah before we hopped on the podcast that in times like this, I'd be like hesitant to give advice, but I know that the question was asked, so we will. And that's because I think each situation is so unique, so different to where I would lean heavily on your community to give you honest feedback where you have blind spots. So there might be times where you feel like I'm ready, like I'm, I want to go. And they're like, actually, because I love you and I'm your friend, I'm going to tell you you're not ready and you have to trust that. They're watching your blind side, but that's why we have community. It's, it's an extra set of eyes that are looking from the outside in and ultimately in protection because they love you. I mean, being a single parent, that is hard. That is hard. That has hardships and endurance levels and pain that no one else is going to know except someone in that place. And so that person really does need to have community around them, but they also probably don't have a lot of time to look for it. Mm -hmm. And so this is where people in the body of Christ they need to be looking out for people in that position to care for, right? The widows and the orphans. I think that goes broader. I know that I have invested a lot of my singleness, my time into serving single parents, specifically single moms, because I can't imagine the burden of responsibility there that one person holds on their shoulders. And so 
apart from just speaking directly to a single parent who desires relationship and desires to be able to be with someone to partner with in those struggles and in the beauty of that life that you've been given, I would encourage singles to look for ways that they can serve and reach out and become a friend to them in that so that they are not as alone as they may feel. There's a call here for all of us, whether we're single or not. One consistent thing that we can see across the board through these conversations is that we need each other. We are literally made for relationship, and so we need each other. So no matter what our status is, in quote, in regards to being married or single or divorced or a single parent, wherever we are in that, we need each other. So how are we serving and caring and lifting each other up in community and not just focusing on ourselves, but actually growing in community? Hey, friends, I hope you found this episode encouraging. A few closing thoughts as we wrap things up. I realized hearing Sarah talk that a lot of the advice that we have given or encouragements in answering these questions really does not vary whether you're single or you're married or you're a parent or whatever the circumstance is. In closing thought, the advice is figure out what your identity is in Christ first. Devote him as your number one priority live intentionally with the relationships and the community that God has placed you in. Whether you are single, do that. Whether you are married, do that. Whether you're married with kids or you're divorced or whatever your situation is, the advice does not change. Jesus is the priority. Lean in to your community and live fearlessly.